0: Well, good morning guys good to uh see you uh we you know i think uh we just had a great summer around here uh, a lot of really good stuff you saw in the video here of uh, people connecting here at cross point and uh, much more importantly to us uh, people uh, connecting in a relationship with jesus christ through baptism and just some really cool stuff and uh Numbers have been really solid, and we don't make a big deal out of that around here, but they've been really good through the summer, a lot of new faces, and just really uh, encouraged. And so I just wanted to celebrate that with you for a moment and to give God honor for that. Uh, he is definitely uh, working in this place. Could I, uh, let me just, uh, I didn't do this in the first service at all, but just uh, feel prompted to do this. Could I, could I just say to you guys in those first couple of rows of students, I think God is up to something among you too this summer and some really powerful ways. And uh, it's exciting to me to see what God is doing. And in a few weeks, we're going to send you back to your schools. And when you go back, you're going as missionaries. I wonder how many of your friends you could lead to Christ this year. Wouldn't that be cool? You guys can do that. I'd like you to think about one club or one organization that you're a part of. And what if you could lead every person this school year in that organization to Christ? You could do that. And we would celebrate that with you. And I want to challenge you. To be those kind of missionaries because I think God is up to some cool stuff among you and in your hearts. And uh, yeah. so, and I think God is up to some cool stuff in our hearts too around here. And I'm excited to see what He's going to do in the fall. Our staff has been working really hard on some stuff that we're going to roll out in September and um, October, and we're just really jazzed about it. And I encourage you to be part of that. Go home, kind of mark your calendars. Uh, I know my son's going to tell me later. Dad, in the world, did you say you're jazzed about that. Nobody says that anymore. Yeah, you're right. Um, once in a while, I revert. Um, so anyway, go home and mark your calendars in September and October and just try to be here every weekend uh, during that month. We're going to roll out some cool stuff. I think everybody's going to want to be part of a life group. And as Brad said, uh, to make that possible, we need some uh, people who will step up to host life groups and uh, just challenge you uh, to do that because you are going to want to be a part of what God is going to do around here in September and October. We're going to wrap up our uh, epic series today with the story of Daniel. Now, usually when you think of Daniel, you know, you think of the guy thrown into the lion's den. And certainly that is a big part of his story. But it's not all of his story. There is so much more than his encounter with the king of the jungle. And I want to look at that story today. It's found in Daniel, the first chapter. And so, as always, I hope you brought your Bible. And I encourage you to take that out right now. Find your way to Daniel, the first chapter. Now, I'll be honest, it's a tough book to find. It's towards the back part of the Old Testament, and if you don't know where it is, probably the easiest thing to tell you to do today is simply go to the table of contents, find the page number, and turn there, and that's an okay thing to do, okay? So find your way there, because I want you to follow along. We're going to jump around in several different parts of Daniel today, and then I want to challenge you to go home this week, and over the course of the first few days of the week, read through at least the first six chapters of Daniel, and really dive into this story. Now, here's how the story begins, uh, Daniel uh, chapter 1. Uh, Babylonia is ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar at this time and he suddenly has this desire that he wants to occupy and take over Jerusalem and sort of destroy it and so he gathers his troops they march in they take over Jerusalem he takes a lot of the articles of worship out of the temple carries them off to Babylonia and then he decides he is going to take some of their best brightest sharpest minds and going to take them as captives back to Babylonia and kind of used them in his government there uh, to rule over things. And he does that. He he takes Daniel, who we're going to talk about today. He changes his name to Belt Shessar. And then he takes four other guys, and you don't know their original names. You probably know them by the names that uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar gives them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their story is found in the book of Daniel. They're the guys that were later thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, he takes these guys back to Babylonia, and he says to them, I want you to eat from the king's table, but from the king's table only now you would think well that's that sounds like a pretty good deal doesn't it i bet the king puts out quite a feast probably like going to you know golden corral for a big buffet and uh, but there was a problem with that the problem with eating from the king's table for daniel and these other followers of the god of heaven is that the food on the king's table before it is placed on the king's table part of it the meat and the wine are sacrificed to other idols It defiles the food, and there, if they were to obey the law of God, their eating of that food would defile themselves. And so they are faced with a choice. Do I do what the king has said? Do I compromise and defile myself? Or do I stand on my convictions? Here's what happens. Daniel uh, chapter 1, verse 8 says this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this test and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now here's my first thought when I read that. I'm thinking those other guys who weren't part of the test, they're not real happy with Daniel and his buddies because suddenly they don't get to eat the really good food of the king's table. They're stuck with just eating vegetables at every meal. And how would you feel if every day your mom brought out vegetables and that was it? Which, by the way, moms, I want to say to you, I don't think this is a proof text, for you are saying to your kids that they have to eat all of the vegetables, because you would be taking out the incredible power of God that was at work when they were eating those vegetables, okay? Just as a sign. Well, they do eat the vegetables, and the king brings them before them later, and he tests them in several ways, and he finds them to not only look healthier, but to be wiser and stronger and smarter and ahead in many ways. And so Daniel and his buddies sort of begin to rise through the ranks and... King Nebuchadnezzar gives them more and more power. But Daniel had been forced to make a choice. He had to choose whether or not he was going to compromise his values or he was going to stand by his convictions. Was his walk going to match his talk? Do you remember when you were in middle school? And you, they stuck you in a health class, and in that health class, they probably showed you some version of films like I'm going to describe, all intended to scare you out of doing things like drinking and smoking and driving recklessly. I mean, they would maybe they showed you there was an old film I think out that they would show where there were a bunch of kids at a party in a house, and some of them, you know, end off kind of sneaking off to the back part of the house, and they start drinking alcohol, and one of them has a reaction to it, and the next thing you know, there's ambulance, and they're poking him with needles and pounding on his chest, and they take him to the hospital, and mom and dad are crying, and you watch and think, I don't think I'm ever going to drink alcohol. Or or maybe they showed you the movie that I think is worse than a lot of the slasher films that are out. They showed you these pictures of automobile accidents and the cars are mangled and they show you pictures of people that are mangled and you think to yourself as you watched it in middle school, I'm never going to drive recklessly. In fact, I'm not sure I ever want to drive at all after seeing those pictures. Or maybe they showed you pictures or had actual examples of a healthy lung And then they showed you a lung of somebody that smokes and how it's all polluted. And you looked at that lung and thought to yourself, I don't think I'm ever going to smoke. I mean, you were absolutely determined in middle school that I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drive recklessly. But then we got into high school. And it wasn't long after we were in high school, at least with my friends, many of them were drinking, or I should say a lot of them were drinking. Many of them were smoking. And a lot of us were driving recklessly, at least at times. What happened? How did we move from being so convinced that those things were deadly or unhealthy or unwise to the point where our actions seem to not match our beliefs? You know, a lot of you today, there are things that are going on in your life that you're doing that a couple of years ago you would have said to yourself, I'll never do that. We come to a place like this. And and somebody talks about, oh, you know, we ought to really love and serve our neighbors and we think, yes, we should. Or somebody talks about, oh, it's really good for you to read your Bible and you think, yeah, I need to do that. Or, Or you hear about the importance of purity in your life and you say, yeah, I need to be pure. And yet you walk out the door and nothing changes. You see, what happens to us is the same thing that happened to my friend's when we moved from middle school to high school, there were people with many preferences, but very few convictions. Oh, we, we know the truth. We know what is right. And yet we have few real convictions. And the consequences are that our walk does not match our talk. We are a people with many preferences. But not enough of us are men and women of conviction. I think as you read Daniel's story, as I read it this week, that is what jumped out of this story for me. Daniel was a man who had decided to choose conviction over preference. His life was marked repeatedly by making a choice that I will stand for my convictions, I will not compromise, I will choose conviction over preference. Think about in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel has this debate. Do I eat the food of the king's table, which he was being pressured to do? Or do I risk my comfort? And believe me, Daniel and his three buddies, they had everything they needed in Babylonia to live a very comfortable life. Life would have been good. And Daniel had to decide, do I risk the comfort of life to obey God? Do I choose my convictions over my preference? And then if you move forward in Daniel's life, you come to the story that we're more familiar with in Daniel chapter 6. The leader of Babylonia has changed. It's now King Darius. And Daniel has accumulated, in a sense, even more influence and has begun to leverage that influence. And the king is just about to put him, to give him a big position of authority. But a lot of other guys around say, we don't like that. They didn't like Daniel. And so they began to look for some way to discredit him. And the only thing they could really find in his life to discredit him was this relationship that he had with the God of heaven. And so they determined, we'll use that. So they go to King Darius and they say, we've got this idea. We are thinking it would be really great if for the next 30 days you would make a rule, a law, that nobody was allowed to bow their knee to any person or any God besides you. And Darius listened to that and thought, well, that sounds pretty good. I would like that if I was the center of attention for the next 30 days. And so he writes it into law. Well, and they go and let Daniel know he's just written this into law. You can't bow your knee to anybody or any God besides Darius. And Daniel is faced with a decision between his convictions and his preference. And Daniel determines every day to do what is right. And he continues with the windows open in his residence to bow his knee before God and to pray to God three times a day. Oh, his enemies see what he is up to and they run and tell the king, hey, Daniel's bowing his knee to someone else. And and remember, they say, you wrote it into law. It means you can't change it. And so against his will, in a sense, King Darius has Daniel thrown into the lion's den and he can't sleep all night, worried about what's going to happen to Daniel. The next day he goes out early to see what's happened and he discovers that Daniel is still alive. And he has Daniel pulled out of the den and his other guys would come up with a scheme, thrown in, and they are killed by the lion. Daniel has to make a choice. He has to choose between his convictions and his preference. He has to choose whether or not he will compromise what's important to him. So for a few minutes today, I would like to allow Daniel's story, I hope, to inspire us in our lives to choose conviction over preference. Here's some lessons that I see in this story. First, conviction is risky. I mean, let's just be upfront about the thing that is probably most obvious in this story. For Daniel and his buddies, it was risky. As I said earlier, they had to risk the comfortable lifestyle that they had in Babylonia in chapter 1. And in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel has to actually risk his life by choosing his conviction over his preference. And let's just be honest. When it comes to choosing conviction over preference in our lives, it will be risky too. It will be. We will risk things when we choose conviction over preference. I know about a a, a guy that was on the uh, football team here at Mariner that had a conviction in his life that he wouldn't uh, drink alcohol. And so many Friday nights after games, every Friday night probably to begin with, all his, a lot of his buddies on the team would say, hey, let's go out. And he knew what they meant. They were going out to party and drink. And he had to choose. Do I compromise my conviction and go have fun with these guys or do I stand by my conviction? And every week he chose to stand by his conviction and oftentimes would just drive home to be with his family. And when he did that, every time he was forced to make that decision, it was risky. Because he was risking what other people were going to say about him, how he was going to be treated by the rest of the team, what was going to happen relationally. But he chose to stand by his convictions over his preference. And you know what? It will cost us some things. It may cost us relational things with people we work with. It may cost our job at times. If we really say we are going to choose in our lives to obey God and to choose conviction over preference. Here's a second truth about this thing. Conviction requires determination. Daniel was determined. In fact, remember what it said in verse 8 about Daniel as we began the story? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He resolved. The word resolve is the idea of unwavering adherence. I think it's about focus. Daniel was focused on doing what God said. I'll have to admit to you today... I've I'm embarrassed to admit to you, because some of you will really be bothered that I admit this, but there have been a time or two, I'm sure just once or twice, that I have been guilty of texting while driving. I know. Gosh, you guys really reacted. (laughs) Just go ahead crucify me right now. I have. I repent. I shouldn't do it. You should never do it, especially if you're related to me and you're younger than I am, you should never do that while you drive, okay? The other day, I don't think I've ever been really dangerous, okay? I shouldn't do it, and it's very distracting when I've done it. The other day, though, I was... uh, I tell you all that because I'm going to make fun of somebody else that was doing it. So I needed to be honest about me first. So I was driving the other day, uh, taking the back way that I go from our office back to our house, and going around the corner ready to make a left-hand turn, and there is this lady coming down this side street, and I am convinced she was texting, and she is weaving all over the place, doesn't see me at all. I think she is coming right for me. Fortunately, she sees me, I think, at the very last moment and kind of gets out of the way, and I think then she goes right back to, to texting whatever she was doing. You know what? When you get behind the wheel of the car, we all know, right? You're supposed to focus on what's important, and what's important is driving the car. But when you start texting, it's distracting, isn't it? A lot of us are distracted by life. You see, the most important thing for us is to follow God, is to keep our eyes on Him and what He's calling us to do. But we get distracted by the stuff of life. Daniel was focused. On following God. He wasn't distracted by a desire for people to notice him or to get recognition or to be successful or to acquire possessions. Daniel was focused on following God. He had an unwavering adherence to following God in his life. Another thing about this unwavering adherence is that I think Daniel had made up his mind before he ever got to the moment where he had to make a decision. You know, what we tell our kids all the time, don't we? If you wait till the heat of the moment, it's too late. You've got to decide ahead of time what your decision is. And you know what? result also true for us too. When it comes to us deciding whether we are going to choose conviction over preference, you can't wait until the heat of the moment when the decision has to be made. You have to make up your mind in advance. And I think Daniel had made up his mind far in advance that I will always choose conviction over preference. I will not compromise. Have you made up your mind about anything? I mean, when it comes to making ethical and moral decisions, have you made up your mind? Have you made up your mind that you will not compromise no matter what it might cost you? If you look over in chapter 6, verse 16, we see another thing about Daniel that I think speaks to this unwavering adherence. It says, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Did you catch that? The king had noticed that Daniel served God continually. It wasn't just one part of his life. That's what his life was all about. You know what? Truthfully for us, we have this ability to compartmentalize our lives, don't we? And God is just one add-on among a whole bunch of other things in our lives. And if we're honest, Monday through Fridays often just really kind of about serving us. And then on the weekends, we give God a little bit of time and attention. Not not Daniel. Daniel's entire life, every day, was about serving God. And because that was his focus, it made it possible for him to choose conviction over preference. Here's another thing about conviction. It requires trust. It requires trust. Again, in chapter 6, verse 11, it says this, Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Daniel, every day he would bow down and pray to God, and these guys found him asking for help. This wasn't the first time. In fact, if you read in chapters 2 through 5 of Daniel, you'll find a repeated pattern of Daniel asking God for help. He wasn't trying to do it on his own. In fact, if you read in uh, chapter 2, of Daniel, verse 20, you find a prayer that Daniel prays. He says this, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with Him. Daniel trusted the power and the greatness of God. He really believed that God would take care of him. You know what? When it comes to choosing conviction over preference, I think it's a trust issue for a lot of us. We struggle to really trust God. We struggle to really believe that the incomparably great power of God that we talked about last week can actually work in our lives. You see, this kind of life is not something you can do without trusting God. You can't do it by yourself. You can't. It only happens when you determine that I am going to trust God and I believe that His power can work in my life. That's what gives us the ability to choose conviction over preference. One more lesson. Conviction honors God. Conviction honors God. After Darius rescues Daniel from the lion's den, Darius issues this decree. It says in chapter 6, verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. And then he said this, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and He saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Darius watches all of these events unfold. He watches how Daniel stands by his convictions and is not willing to compromise. And at the end of all of it, Darius says, everybody ought to be following the God of Daniel because He's the one that really has the power. Daniel's decision not to compromise, ultimately brought honor to God. Now sometimes we think life is all about getting into the spotlight. The reality is life ought to be about getting the spotlight on God. And when you and I decide in our lives that we are going to be a people who will always stand for our convictions, when our walk will match up with our talk, ultimately God is the one who gets the honor. I'll tell you somebody that I think that is in the limelight today that this has been true of their life. I think it's true for Tim Tebow. uh, You know, I'm not a big Florida fan, but I am a fan of Tim Tebow. And uh, he was interviewed recently by one of the big uh, national reporters for the NFL, and uh, this lady was asking him, so Tim, you know, um, now that you have uh, completed college and your team was successful and you won the Heisman and you uh, were drafted into the NFL and you're going to make all this money with the Denver Broncos, is your life a success? And Tim said back to her, My life is a success. But not because of my team's success or because I won the Heisman Trophy or because I've been drafted to the NFL or because I'll make a lot of money. My life is a success because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I don't believe that he's done it perfectly because he's human just like the rest of us. But time and time again, I think Tim Tebow has been a guy who has chosen conviction over preference. And ultimately, time and time again, God has gotten the spotlight. God's gotten the honor because of His choices. We have to decide for us. Are we going to be a people of conviction or a people of preferences? Suppose today I went out and bought a treadmill, which I'm not going to do, but um, you know, I need to get in shape a little bit, need to take off a few pounds, and so I go out and buy a treadmill. And I set that thing up in my Florida room, and every morning I get up and just admire that thing for several minutes. And I get the instruction manual out and I read it from cover to cover. But after I've had that thing for about three months, I realize nothing has changed in me. So I take that load that thing back up and take it back to the store and return it and say, this thing just doesn't work. I've had this thing for three months and I haven't gotten in shape. I haven't lost a single pound. And the guy said, well, does it work? And I'd say, well, I don't know. I've never been on the thing. I've read the instruction manual and I've looked at it, but I I never got on the treadmill. A lot of us say, you know what, I want to... I want to be like God wants me to be. I want to do the things that God has called me to do. I want my walk to match my talk, but we never get on the treadmill. We say we want to be a people of conviction, that we want our walk to match our talk, but we never actually do anything about it. We hear what we ought to do. We know what we ought to do. But it never really changes us. And I hope that Daniel would inspire us this morning. That there might be a change in our lives. And that beginning today, for all of us, me included, we would determine that we will not compromise. That our walk will match our talk. And that we will stand by our convictions. That we will live a life that is focused on being the kind of people that God calls us to be. That we'll talk like Christ followers are supposed to talk. We'll live like Christ followers are supposed to live. We'll do what Christ followers do are supposed to do. And that means in several areas of our lives. It means morally. You know, that we're going to we're gonna choose moral purity in our lives in terms of what comes into our minds and how we act, that we're going to honor the way God talks about sex when He says that sex is beautiful inside of marriage, but that it's sin outside of marriage. And we're going to honor that. We're going to honor that when it comes to entertainment. Hey, you know, let me ask you, why is it? that we will come on Sunday and we'll thank God for dying for our sins, but then we'll go out and we will pay people to entertain us with the sin that He died for. I think it, it needs to be seen in ethical purity in our lives, that we need to be people out in the business world, that we do what's right, even when everybody else around us isn't. We'll do it the right way, even even though it's risky sometimes. That as students, even when other People in our school are cheating. We won't because we'll stand for what's right. That our our words will be true to our word. What we say we will do. I think it ought to be true spiritually. That we ought to be people who say, well, we value the Bible, then we actually ought to read it for ourselves on a regular basis. We say we want to follow God, and God says, you know what? You ought to give the first 10% of your income back to Me. And if we really are serious about that, we'll do it. We won't debate about it. The Bible talks about how God has gifted each of us to, with abilities to serve other people. And if we really believed that and wanted our walk to match our talk, we'd find places to serve. We'd decide we're going to move from being people of preference to people of conviction. Now you know what? That's this tough stuff, isn't it? And it's tough for me. And I'll just be really transparent today and say, you know what? There's some things in my life over these last several weeks that I think God has just been kind of working on me saying you're going to really do what a Christ follower is supposed to do. Maybe he's going to work on you the same way in the weeks to come. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you are an incredibly patient God with us. And God, you'll always love us. But God, I just want to admit to you today that there are some things in my life that don't always match up with what You've called me to be. And sometimes I let preference rule over conviction. And God, I, I pray today that You'd stop that in our lives. And God, you just really move in our hearts in this moment to, to inspire us, to change us, to value following You and being like You more than we value anything else. Let me just give you a moment as you continue to pray. Maybe there are some things in your life that you could identify or that the Holy Spirit will identify for you right now that God would say, here's some things in your life where you're giving into preference instead of standing for conviction. Just take a moment and talk to God about those things. God, change us. God, come and fill us. God, come and help us to be who You've called us to be. In Jesus' precious and powerful name I pray.